Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And we are friends. We are friends. And we thought this would be a good topic to address. Friendship. Yeah, friendship. Okay. Uh, I think we covered that. That's it. <laughs> well, we're typical guys. Uh, that was it. Awkward size. This is like the, uh, since this this is is like the uh, uh, Lutheran farmer from the midwest who loved his wife so much one day he almost told her right well <laughs> and, and and because this is a podcast we are trying not to make eye contact exactly while we're talking about friendship. look at the mic well <clears throat> um thomas aquinas uh in the, the tradition of aristotle uh, talked about friendship being the highest love and uh and of course for him the highest friendship or the greatest friendship is a friendship we can have with God, which I think is a beautiful thing coming from one of the most brilliant philosophers of all time. But I think it's something that is such an important fabric of our life. Maybe we're not always as good as, at it as we should be. Uh, we certainly uh, feel the pang of it when it's not going right or, or when we lose a friend. So um, and I think particularly in this age of... of of so many distractions and, and so many ways that we can kind of be connected to the world through devices, but at the same time, not necessarily connected uh, personally with someone. I think it's a, it's a good topic to talk about. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes friendship challenging or at least different in a society like ours is we're so mobile and technology makes us able to work one place, live another place, play another place, you know, uh, worship another place. So basically, it's very. I mean, look at your Facebook friends. It's, it's Which in and of itself is an is an unusual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aquinas. There's a reason why people could do stuff like write the Summa. I mean, there's no there's no Farmville. Well, like that, you know? <laughs> right, not, but I mean, I Candy Crush. Facebook friends. Exactly. Right. Right. That's, that's the phrase. It's really. Right. Although I have to admit, it's it's kind of I, I was really skeptical about. It. As a matter of fact, find, you know, years ago when I first got on Facebook, uh, it was because of the number of my staffs that I had to younger ones. Is that just to be engaged? And what's a piece of technology you loved and were an early adopter of? Yeah, let's move on. All right. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Not, let's go. I mean, well, I, I mean, you know, I do. I mean, I'd like late antiquity is kind of. My, <laughs> I I actually I think I think the aqueduct exactly. is a brilliant. Everything um, went downhill with Gutenberg. I mean that was you know. Well, no, not necessarily. But no, but anyway. Um, Here's the interesting thing though about like think about how many of your Facebook friends know each other or know the same you. So there there might be a group of people I spend a ton of time with because I work with them or I see them at the coffee shop on the way to work. But we have these like. We're such fragmented selves on one level, at least if we are 
in some level defined by our relationships with people. And you think about the fact that so many of the relationships we have with people are isolated from each other. As opposed to if I'm in like an early medieval village and hey, I probably live, work, worship with you know people that my grandparents did. You know, there's right. everybody kind of knows your story before you do growing up right. because you're, and we just that alone I think makes it difficult to share life with someone because you know to share to to be a friend because. Your lives are already so segmented. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I, I get that. Um, and I think the other thing that is important with friendships, although I do think um, this kind of new, you know, friendship dating and kind of people hanging out in gangs as opposed to individual couples and such. I mean, I do think in some, in part, that's a that's a trying to recreate community and 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 in some levels. It is a response to this living on my electronics all the time. Yeah, there's a longing for that. Although it's funny because you sit in groups with people on the electronics. <laughs> Everybody, I know it is. You know, I remember when whoever first had. I remember listening to someone talk about that for first observing it, and I thought it was hilarious. But you know, just within a few years, it's the norm. Everybody yeah. sits around and does that. Uh, and again, what the, it depends what you're being connected to. You know, there's parts of it are kind of, you know, with the Facebook friend culture, uh, it's almost like you, it's a time machine. And um, like I had this exchange today, just kind of an accidental exchange with someone who um, I maybe have seen once or twice since high school. And uh, she and I were pretty good friends in high school. We had this kind of in, kind of in, an intense ideal, ideological, ideological back and forth, which, you know, was, and we were probably <laughs> the only two people in high school doing that. But, you know, over the course of three years, and it was interesting, what we exchanged about was was nothing really, uh, you know, nothing very serious. But it's funny that there's still this, there's still this kind of connection there. And, um you know, for me, it makes me reflect on times that I may just have not even thought about and and people that I might not have thought about. Uh, you know, ironically, again, through Facebook, I mean, I, I two people I haven't talked to for years who were really close friends in high school and then in college, um, for a variety of reasons, I've reconnected with both of these guys over the weekend. And, um, I, you know, there's this the kind of affection and memories uh, of of uh, of shared times has rekindled a kind of, um, if you would, remembering a part of myself too. Okay, so in deference to your love for antiquity, we'll play a game now. Let's go through Aristotle's categories of friendship, and all our listeners, all seven of them, can categorize their friends or categorize themselves. Right, so. The first type of friend we got is the friendship that's based on utility. Right? You know, you got someone that you, you're just a decent person, but you, if you didn't need something from them, they're a coworker, right? Right. And you need your department to get along with their department. They're the key person, but you actually, you know, you don't mind their company, but there's generally something you want from the person, right? And that's kind of the lowest level for Aristotle. Well, right. It, yeah, and I I think uh, those can develop 
But it tends to be once that utility is gone. Yeah. The relationship. Yeah, right. It right. doesn't. They don't generally endure. The second is friendships rooted in pleasure. So maybe it's a, ba- a band that uh, jams together, or the ultimate frisbee team, or you know the folks that you do fantasy football with. There's this deep connection to. Well, it's a connection to some sort of pleasurable experience. Right. That that they they might not be the deepest relationship, but they're fun relationships, and they're not. The same kind of utility as the first one. Like you're, there's actually a genuine pleasure you're both getting from it. It's about it's like the neighborhood pub, yeah, or the country club, yeah, or the book club, yeah. But he lists those as accidental in the classic sense of the word, like in that they're not things could change quickly. Like if I was, you know, substance accidents. If I shave my head, I'd still be me. It's an accidental. Oh, I have right. a football head, so it wouldn't look great, but I'd still be me. Um, but, you know, then there's changes that would essentially make me, you take away my body, it wouldn't be me anymore. Right. So he thinks that the first two are accidental, accidentally rooted friendships. But the highest one is the friendship that is rooted in virtue or goodness. Because you're both, like, you're both independently drawing closer to that, to that goal. And as you're drawing together to the goal, you're drawing, your right. friendship <clears throat> gets drawn closer together. There's a, there's a really interesting sermon. It's actually a tribute sermon by Gregory Nazianzus, who was one of the Cappadocian fathers, and those are the it guys. sounds like a tribute band. It is. That's <laughs> <laughs> just running around. Like, yeah, sorry. and it was, uh, um, it was actually, these are the tribute, this is the tribute band, the Cappadocian fathers that brought us the great hit called the Trinity. Well, they didn't bring the Trinity, but they they rescued it and, con- and championed the version of the Trinity that people who uh, care about orthodoxy still believe in the Nicene Creed. But uh, he did a sermon in praise of Basil the Great, who was uh, another one of the Cappadocian fathers. Uh, really interesting story. They went to university together, the University of Athens, um, and uh, great football team, a great football team. The captain, captain would become Julian, the former, the future Julian, the apostate uh, emperor of Rome. So they were they were hobnobbing with some pretty powerful people. I but, did so bad when you're Julian the apostate, Julian, Julian and apostate. Like once you have the definite article, right? And if he was able, if he hadn't gotten killed, uh, you know, if he got killed, he might have been Julian, the guy that brought the pagan back. <laughs> but such was history. At any rate, but uh, they were students together. They later on thought about, you know, they toured the, to, toured the um, uh, part of that part of the Mediterranean looking for ideal monasticism. You know, in his oration, he, oration, he actually... Uh, is doing almost a commentary on Aristotle's thing on friendship because his discussion of what the relationship is like is really a paraphrase of Aristotle's model. Uh, but that the beautiful, the beautiful line, you know, that they were um, two bodies sharing one soul or one spirit. And what's interesting, Basil has died when he's preaching this or, or writing this, and he and Basil had a, had a kind of a falling out in their maturity, Basil became the really dominant um, bishop of that area, was taking on uh, emperors, and you know, he was really a force to be reckoned with, building hospitals. In many ways, he was trying to help keep that society together. 
Um, and he got Greg Nazianzus to take a a position to see that Greg Nazianzus didn't want or didn't want any have anything to do with. And so for a while, their their friendship was really strained. But as he's remembering his friend, um, he does remember that they were brought together out of a common love and and if you would even a competition in virtue. But uh, he realized his friend was one of the greatest men he ever knew, and the, and according to him, the greatest Christian he ever knew. Wow, that's a tribute. It is a tribute. Has anybody from your like church staff you've worked with ever just said, "Hey, today it's going to be a, a sermon will be a tribute to Bill Boer"? No, no. Um, and uh, if it happens, it, it probably will be at my funeral, so I won't, <laughs> uh, I won't get to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, didn't Gregory of Nazianzus also write The Flight to Pontus? Yes, yes. And that Flight to Pontus was because so of Basil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because of Basil. So yeah. basically, The Flight to Pontus describes how he kind of runs away from his vocation, from his call, right, from his calling, he, yeah. and comes back, you know. Right, right. Because Basil had given him a backwater parish uh, for the political stuff that was going on. So, yeah. That's what friends are for to send you to the backwaters <laughs> of the empire, right? So, how do you, I mean, how do you, how do we cultivate friendship? And I mean, how do we cultivate in ourselves the things it takes to be a friend? Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean, um, you know, because to have a friend, to be a friend, you know, that that expression. Uh, Well, I think, first of all, when you truly are a friend with someone, you're you're a friend with that other person. Um, for the most part, you accept them the way they are. Yeah. You know? And um, and you know, I I had this one guy who um, was a member of a church I pastored for a long time, and he really became and I still think he's like a brother. And I had a couple of guys there; they were like brothers to me. And probably some of the some of the most con- uh, confrontational things. That's been said to me as an adult um, for constructive things he said to me, and uh, but I think uh, first of all he could do that because I knew I accepted it from him and was able to receive it because I knew he loved me I knew he cared about me. Um, I also knew that he could say I could say to him, "Well, I don't agree with that." I said, "Okay, <laughs> you know, it could be could be that kind of thing." But I I think in part was that I was myself around him. And so I was vulnerable enough to to make him want to be my friend. So I do think, you know, kind of appropriate vulnerability, um, because a person who really wants to be a friend, who wants to go to that higher level, wants to have a genuine, authentic relationship. Yeah, this reminds me of a podcast we did a couple of weeks ago called Blessed Are the Vulnerable, which... For those of you who have listened to it, um, we yeah we received some very kind feedback, and so thank you for that. But it comes back to that where Brene Brown says, you know, the problem with shame is, you know, we all have it, and the less you talk about it, the more of it you have because it right. kind of builds up. So, but you know, the the problem is like vulnerability is at the nexus of deep connection, which we all want, and shaming experiences and potential. Right. right? So you when, once you let your guard down, once you take the armor off, you could either really connect with somebody and, and develop one of those deep friendships, or you could get 
rebuffed, shamed, rejected, manipulated. And I think that maybe courage is one of the things that it take that is required at the on, at the onset. Yeah, courage to be open and, and courage to stand with that person. I mean, in terms of, I mean, I don't want to be overly macho here, but in terms of, you know, will this person run in a bar fight? I mean, or will yeah. this person stay by and have your back? And I, I think um, not that we're promoting bar fights. No, um, but if you get, if you're in one, you better be with friends. Uh, and I and I do think there's a sense where, um, you know, when Jesus called the disciples his friends, it was in the context of him saying, "Greater love hath no one than this to lay down their life for a friend." And you're my friends. I mean, it's interesting that he he, he in the John's Gospel he didn't frame it as greater love is your God or greater love is your savior as your friend. I'm laying my life down for you as your friend. And I think that kind of imitation of, of, of sacrifice, you know, most of us never have to do that. But the idea that we, we are open enough to share our life and create a kind of bond where that would happen. Uh, it's amazing to me. I, I, you know, we've heard, uh, I'm sure you've read this and heard this, but how many men who were in combat, what they miss the most is the camaraderie uh, and uh, knowing that the people around them would, uh, would die for them. And that's part of not only the violence and horrible things they've seen, but that's part of what they withdraw from when they come back. Yeah, because you have to go back to a level of existence where people more regularly transact on more superficial levels. There's not, a, there's not a lot of room in combat, I would guess, for superficiality. No, you know, it's funny. <laughs> to the contrary, I was at an ecclesial event yesterday. That was, <laughs> that was, uh, that Speaking was, of combat. Yeah, but uh, that was, you know, very... Well, Bill Maher says that he remembers Mass as going to Mass, you know, as a young Catholic, being in catechism class, being a lot like what he hears combat. It's like long periods of boredom punctuated by sheer terror. <laughs> well, you know, this was a celebration of a, of a new ministry and uh, a new pastorate. And so there were lots of clergy types there. And, you know, it was, it's interesting um, because I think uh, we're both, you know, we both are pastors and have, have pastored and, and are doing that again. At least I, I, I took a break, but I'm back doing it. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, you know, our profession is really bad at, at collegial friendships. Yeah. And uh, it's, and I, ironically, we work, we work, uh, all right, theoretically, we work for the one who said, you know, you are my friends. And this is the commandment I give to you. You love each other as I have loved you. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, it doesn't happen very well in church settings. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I have a pastor friend. It was uh, we actually went to college together and kind of reconnected with the past few years. And and one of the things is, I mean, he's a he's a real gift because he's he he is at times. If I'm just down, I mean, he just listens. Yeah, and vice versa. You know, if he's down, you know, he knows I'll listen and. Uh, the, the gift of that to somebody that, that kind of knows some of your struggles and where you don't have, I mean, I feel like the, the problem at, at in most 
religious gatherings of clergy and ministers and stuff is a lot of it's just at the level of utility, you know, for yeah. I mean, you're trying to, it's, it's all about exchange, uh, you know, <laughs> you right. know, and, and what you can get out of, uh, things and, or, or, or it's an exchange of ego, you know, like the right. pastors have the edifice complex, right? So like, Oh, I put a wing on the, on the, uh, sanctuary, you know, it's, it, it everybody's exaggerating and, you know, right. it's, and it's really tough to, to, to be a friend, you know, because nobody wants to look like they need a friend. By the way, you said edifice complex. Yeah, not edifice. Not edifice. edifice yeah, complex. yeah, ed- yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. The edifice complex. Yeah. <laughs> it might be that too in some places, but uh, you know, I think it's right. It's it's a, it's a sad thing about about our profession. Uh, I remember years ago being at a uh, a presbytery meeting, and I just happened to know, okay, what was going on. And I don't even know why I was privileged with that. But um, sitting across the aisle was one of the most conservative members of the Presbytery. And across the aisle was one of the most liberal members of the Presbytery. And I knew that both of them were in hellish situations. Hmm. And there was some kind of, somebody was talking, and it was not, you know, it was about as edifying you know, as um, having your teeth cleaned. Although that teeth cleaning at least is beneficial. But at any rate... Um, I love my dentist. I love getting my teeth cleaned. All right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, our sponsor today... Exactly. Is, is, David uh, Gardner, you can uh, sponsor it. <laughs> but, uh, Rittenhouse Dentistry, for any of our listeners. Free right. free plug for Dave. All right. It was a good friend. Uh, but... I was thinking, and and I didn't know either of them very well, but if they could just, if they knew, you know, literally if they could reach their hands across the aisle, uh, they would realize they both were, were, were in this isolated place of loneliness and failure, and that, that somehow they could comfort each other. And again, yeah, their human need and, 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 and just who they were could have overcome the ideology. And, and the meeting was dull and the meeting was isolating. And I can just remember sitting in the back of that room and the loneliness of it just screamed to me as I looked at these two souls. And, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, I mean, you asked what, you know, I guess I come back to you. So what would it mean to um, create uh, within the context of people who do ministry, or in the context of people who are academics or um, you know involved in ministry, what would be what would we need to do to be better at this? Yeah, it's really interesting. I read a book a few years ago that I really really like. Uh, it's called uh, "Free of Charge" by Miroslav Wolf, and in it he says, you know, human human uh, exchange or human, you know. It, Exchange of goods usually happens on three levels, right? If you take something that doesn't belong to you with no recompense, that's theft. Right. Usually when, when you get something of value, you're trying to give someone something of relative value. Maybe get a good deal, but not an unreasonable one. And this value for that, we call it exchange. This is when you give something of value and you get nothing in return. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. So I think... Friendship is, uh, is the best kind of friendship is often like that. I think it's experienced as a gift. But he says, you know, when relationships are wronged or shipwrecked or where there's violations, akin to stealing is revenge, mm. where you want recompense with 
know uh, you, you don't want to give anything back. You want to take right. and cause pain. Says justice is where is kind of akin to exchange, where there's some sort of parity, relative right. parity. It's never perfect, especially in a fallen, messy world. But he said forgiveness is like a gift. Right. That that's when you give a good without regard for getting back. And I think if friendship's a gift, forgiveness. I think enables it to be the gift that keeps on giving and being received because self-condemnation is a very powerful thing because you don't need anyone to do it. So it's a very, it feels empowering anyway. I can condemn myself right. with no one's help, not, not God's, not another person, but to live forgiven, I've got to open up the authority of my story to another. I've got to let them complete my story. I've got to let them, I've got to give them the gift of gifting me with grace so that my story can pick up and become anew again. So I think if we need courage to experience the gift of, of friendship, I think we need to be able to cultivate the gift of forgiveness yeah. and to receive it. Yeah, I, that's that's a big part because particularly in our profession, we're you know if we're if we're at least have anything to do with the God we serve, we spend a lot of time giving. Grace. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you are a pastor and you don't give grace, then find a new job. Yes. Please do. Yes. But, um, and, you know, it's, <laughs> and see right there, that was a judgmental statement. <laughs> now, find it now. You no, know, no, but it means in some level, see, it's always, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, it's always lurking there by the side. Yeah. Even when I'm trying to be, uh, proclaim grace, I just took some away. Yeah, uh, but I think the other thing is um, is you know how often are we open to be forgiven? I think part of the reason, going back to that that example that I gave earlier, there, there had to be vulnerability, there had to be openness, and there, that that was one of the most unsafe um, rooms in the Western Hemisphere that night. So there was no way that that was going mm. to be a place where that could happen. And I do think we have to find opportunities for that to be able to to hear the word of mercy and to be able to be open enough to be to for people to know that we have failed. I mean, that doesn't mean, <clears throat> I mean, I think there can be, a, we need to be appropriate about disclosure, but we often don't live close enough with people for them to know where we've fallen when we don't love enough um, to really say, Hey man, I think you've just missed it here. Like I mean, like my friend I mentioned earlier, so I really think you're you're missing it, Bill. And and that was not fun to hear, but he was right. You know, I think that one of the best training grounds for receiving forgiveness is receiving compliments. I always yeah. If someone can't receive a compliment, uh, and you can be very prideful. In fact, I think it's an extreme form of pride because if you're good at something, but somebody compliments you and you play it off or you won't receive it. It's, again, because you don't want to yield up. It, receiving a compliment like receiving mercy or forgiveness requires you to give up a little bit of control of Absolutely. your story yeah. for someone else to be the observer, the interpreter. Mm-hmm. So I think that that maybe the way, maybe a, a way of tra- the training ground for friendship, the baby steps might be how we receive compliments. Well, you know, I was kind of, when I was thinking about this concept for this podcast, I was thinking about our friendship. I mean, and I'm... I was thinking, okay, what what has made this friendship work? I mean, we have similar interests. We have, you know, we're we're you know both practitioners. We both care about theological, philosophical inquiry. We are both interested in 
what's going on critiquing. But, you know, we have a lot of differences with each other as well. I, I do think uh, certainly um, I, I do think mercy has been part of part of our relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I think also I, I, I think willing to kind of let the thing grow a little bit, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, it's funny. Organic is a great term. It might be overused at times, but there's something very different from something mechanistic and something organic, right? Like we can take it apart, but you can't, and there's things you can do. Like my wife is, Lindy has made some, grown some lovely tomatoes, right? Uh, and she's on our porch and you, you can put strictures around it. You can do things that can help the thing, but you can't make it grow. You know, you, you have to just, you have to, right. you, and so I, th I think the same thing in friendships, you can do some things with practices and stuff that can facilitate growth when it happens right. or hinder growth when it shows up. But on some sense, yeah, just open to the really organic and the true sense of the word nature of what a friendship is. Yeah, I, I think at some levels, this podcast is about ideas, it's about faith, it's about culture, but I think ultimately it's about friendship. I think, uh, I mean, that's, I think for us, at least for me, part of when, uh, I mean, the chief thing that makes this interesting for me is is just hearing what's going on with you, sharing from your vast knowledge and uh, kind of walking this walk together. Thank you. And also with you. Two of us riding nowhere, spending someone's hard and pain. You and me, Sunday driving, not arriving. Chasing paper
Liebe. 